Monkey Boys Podcast. That's good. Ready? Let's rock and roll. <laughs> wow, that ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> We're rolling? Yeah. Good. Three, two, one. Welcome to Lucky Boys Podcast. I'm Will. And I'm Norm. And we have a very special guest here today, Car Ho, the bouncer and owner of 12 Pell. Yes. Yes. I'm happy to be here with you. How would you label your barbershop? Um, I would say it's a community place. More so. Uh, I mean, barbershops traditionally always had that um, community center vibe to it. Um, right. Whether or not you call it that, you know, like people come in and out, people shoot the shit there, people get to meet other people. So I think that um creating this place for ourselves was just creating a central place where we could all get together hang out feel good look good you know get to meet other people so it's like a podcast but just without the cameras and a mic <laughs> right 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 and uncensored un- uncensored you know what i mean it's oh like, we don't censor anything right in but i mean like you know people can have conversations about things and not worry about it getting you know getting out there you know getting canceled <laughs> yeah yeah just, like, just like just like any 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 sort of like banter you know what i mean yeah you can complain about your girlfriend you know you could be like oh shit i got this thing coming up i ain't trying to do it this and that you know it's like um, I feel like it's a place where people can feel free to be themselves. Um, I think like their barbers, like their priest. So it's like, yo, I can say anything. I can, I can share any information and it's a super comfortable environment. So yeah. Like a, a, ther- a personal therapist. Yeah. You know, without walking having- in the confession booth. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and you gotta pay the expensive fees. <laughs> yeah. No, you guys yeah. are pretty, you guys are doing it very differently from the traditional barber shops, and and just I just want to add another layer to this. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just not a regular entrepreneur. Uh, he did Carhol did go through the traditional financial route after college. Mm-hmm. Um, you got your CPA. Yeah, I mean, I passed my CPA exams. I um, did two and a half years in corporate full time. Um, prior to that, I did have a good leg of experience in the corporate world too. Um, all four years in college, I pretty much interned all in accounting firms, which in hindsight, I look back at it and think, I wish I kind of diversified my experience a little bit, but like, I don't regret any of it. I think that it was all kind of like, um, it all built up to this one moment where um, I was waiting to break out <laughs> into something new. And that's how, you know, this all happened. And, now, and that's where I find you super interesting. Yeah. All right. Because most CPAs I know are counting the, you know, there are certain type of thinking. And you, I do see that traditional route, the, the analytical, the numbers, the, uh, the processing speed. Mm-hmm. But I also see the other route where it's just a chill dude, yeah. um, entrepreneur type. And, but it's just, uh, just very different. And, and then I could see why it ties in where I want to go with it's, it's not the traditional Asian barbershop in Chinatown. It's, it's, it's one of one. Right. Um, and I think that we have that perception because we look and feel so different. Um, I think that you don't really, and, and I was on a call a couple of days ago, um, with a marketer and then they had looked up our website. Um, he did a little homework on us and, uh, was like, wow, when I first saw your pages and I saw your website and your Instagram, I felt super intimidated, you know? Like what's what's a white dude like me gonna walk into the shop like that's cool really sh- it's cool looking shop and like will I fit in I feel really intimidated going in but like he clicked on a couple of videos and realized like wow these guys are super chill dudes and he felt like he he already got to know us before he was even right. in the space so he felt like he was going to be judged 
and um, he may not be fit in somehow. Like you guys will look at him like, yo, you're not well, like you know, I, I a culture. Yeah. yeah, you're not in our culture or um, you may not dress like us. I, I don't think something. that was the intimidation factor. I think the intimidation factor is like how we look and feel so different in the shop. Like it looks super modern. Like we got like like the crazy lights going on. Like there's a super modern futuristic decor. Um, a lot of it's like, you know, on our on our feed, you see a lot of inspiration from streetwear and style. Right. So, bro, I saw you guys, I think in your grand open, you guys pulled up with the Rolls Royce. Oh, no. Right? <laughs> no, was that? No. I saw something like yeah. that, right? Was that a music video? Or was, no, no, was it, 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 it was post and it was, um, it, it wasn't even our Rolls Royce. <laughs> right. So, so it, it's funny because like on Pell Street, so much activity happens mm, all yeah. the time. Yeah. And, um, the idea and, and why we named it 12 Pell is because we felt like this is a community place, you know, this is a place where people gather, mm. people get to know one another. And at the time, to be honest with you, we actually really couldn't figure out a name for it. And uh-huh. we just felt like 12 Pell rolled out the tongue really well. Um, but it's like, we feel like it's a place where people get together. So like everything happens on 12 Pell, whether it's music videos, um, creative shooting for photos. It's a very iconic street, you know, mm-hmm. it's got real OG Chinatown feel. And totally. um, us opening a shop there was like creating this little juxtaposition because like we were so super modern and hip and it was like the young life that we could bring onto that street. And that's what really intrigued us about creating like, you know, creating, creating a position there for ourselves. Um, and I think that like that kind of image, like, you know, how, how forward we are, um, how stylish we are, uh, how modern and like how cool it can be, you know, mm-hmm. from somebody who's looking at it from the outside, uh, creates a slight intimidation factor. But I think when you get to know us, or if you've ever walked into our store, you would know right away, you, you're going to get greeted, you know, mm-hmm. like, like we, we, our number one goal is to build that real good customer service, really good rapport. I wouldn't even call it customer service. I would call it homie service because it's like, you come in here and like, yo, we're going to treat you like you're our boys. They instantly feel welcome. That's, I guess, uh, part of the gang. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm curious as to how you saw this already. Right. As you know, coming from, and you're, you're looking at Excel sheets and numbers, right. Trying to you know, organize all of the, um, you know, find the missing zeros, you know, and you're going, you know what? I want to cut hair. Mm-hmm. How do you make that pivot? I actually didn't. Um, it was, it was a, it was kind of like a, it was a journey that kind of shaped itself. And what I mean by that is um, coming out of corporate really had no plan, to be honest. Uh, we traveled for six months, had like a six month hiatus. You um, and your friends? Yeah. Okay. Um, me, my friend Matthew, Karen, you know, like we went out to Vegas. We were out to California, San Diego, L.A., San Fran. Oh, like, you guys really did it. Yeah, we just yeah. hopped around for like um, a full two months, came back here, just chilled for another four months and just like went on like small little trips in between. Um, it was just really a break, I think. It was a mental break from routine. And Was I, this after college or after? After corporate. Okay. So... It was like, I think we were just so burnt out from the situation of like working a nine to five all the time. And we just wanted to disrupt all of that. And like just going out there and travel really opened up our eyes. So wait, you yeah. and your th- uh, two friends, Karen and Matthew, yeah. Matthew yeah, yeah. quit together? Oh, no. So actually me and Matthew left around the same time. Karen, she was in a very interesting position. I'm not sure if we should discuss that. <laughs> but but, but she, she works in consulting and okay. she was uh, on the bench at the time. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of 
free time for her. Oh, so she and, was available. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and so she, she, she came along and was like, yo, I'm down. And it didn't really matter where she worked out of as long as she reported in. Like, oh, I see. Yeah, so like the, the, the funniest story I have of her is we were at EDC uh, Vegas at like 5 a.m. in the morning uh-huh. at like one of the final sets. And then Karen goes, oh, my God. I have to be on because like she she's a, we're in like West Coast time, uh-huh. but she had to be on uh, East Coast time. She's like, yo, I gotta be on the computer in two hours, and I was like, oh snap, we're not gonna make it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we we're just like looking at each other, like, yo, all right, well, that's that. <laughs> so that was that. Yeah, that was that. Oh, and she, she quit. No, she no, 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 no. I mean, like, she, like she was just like she just wasn't on, and she just didn't oh, show she was up. done. Yeah, and, and she could just blame it on the internet connection. <laughs> yeah, she yeah. won't be lying. Oh, <laughs> it, it's it's even more hilarious though that. That, um, we actually got into this uh, to this Lyft and Uber ride. I, I don't know, well, Lyft or Uber. We got into some car service ride. And do you guys know Ollie, the rapper, the guy who raps in in the in, in the like you? you oh yeah, yeah, I've seen him. And he starts rapping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we got into his car. Oh. And then oh, wow. and then he started rapping out of nowhere, and we're like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> and I think that like um, by the end of it, like Matthew was sitting in the front seat. He looked over. And he's like. Yo, this is the YouTuber. Like yeah, I've yeah. seen his videos, and then like there we were in the midst of everything. And I think that like um, taking that trip was a super big eye opener for us, all of us, because it made us realize like, wow, there was so much to life, and mm-hmm. like how how if you just like kind of like ride with the wind and you're able to like uh, let loose for a little bit, you're able to just like experience something new, and you'll never know like what you'll end up in. And I think that that was like the spark that happened for all of us. And when we came back and we were like, oh, wow, like returning to what we were used to was that much harder now. Right. So like it was it was all about us going on a new journey now. So, um, yeah, I can remember like a lot of instances on that trip. That, you guys must have learned so much in six months. Oh, absolutely. I think like especially about being, life and yourself. Yeah. Being exposed to like L.A. culture or like West Coast culture was so different because just because like, you know, how so? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think like when you when you grow up big city, big dreams, New York City, mm-hmm. like everybody thinks of like what's cool and what's like, you know, very aspirational is to be like that top dog Wall Street guy in the suit, you know, rat like, race. Yeah, yeah, rat yeah. race, corporate jungle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like grind, hustle culture. Yeah, get them. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. Like long hours, New York minute. You know, everything's so fast, and then you go to L.A. and it's like. 180 bro like you go to la and like you're sitting in the uber for 40 minutes what yeah yeah, like it's a mad long trip and it's like (laughs) it it just it's just not not to say it tests your patience but it challenges you to slow down for a little bit i I do know that yeah (laughs) i do know that it took i have a coffee story but similar vein right yeah so it's like when you see and and when you see that completely different perspective it it it, kind of challenges you to think like wow I was living one way, right? And like, I felt the urge and urgency and like, we built so much need that we felt like we needed, you know, like, oh, I need this job, I need this, I need that. But the biggest, biggest thing that stood out to me about LA culture and West Coast culture was creativity was actually at the pinnacle of everything, you know? The arts. Yeah, the arts. It was cool to be a barber. It was cool to be a musician. It was cool to be an artist. It was Is cool. that so? Yeah, I felt like it was versus like suit and tie. Yeah, yeah, you know? you know, like you go out to the to like the beaches and stuff, and it's like, um, 
you know, the beautiful weather, like people, you know, it's like you, you just got so like, it's a different type of energy there. And like, I think that it's like, you're not on the New York minute no more. You're kind of like kicking back, you're relaxing, you strike up a conversation. Like I remember going to so many different parties there and the diversity was definitely like amazing. Um, and I love the diversity in like professions. So it's like, you could go to a party and meet so many different types of people versus like you go to a party in New York city and yeah, there's a lot of different type of people, but you know, predominantly the people popping bottles at the tables, like same ha- types. Yeah. Same types or like either the corporate guys or like the businessmen and like, it's the same, same the kind Street of people, bros. Wall Street bros. And yeah. yeah, but like out in LA, yo, so different. And like, th- I felt like a lot of that, um, was it a lot less douchey? I think two different types of douchey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I got you. And, and, uh, uh, I think that was super cool. So like that kind of opened up our eyes to be like, what what does success mean, right? Yeah. And like and like how your environment contributes a lot to what you perceive as success. For sure. And so like I talk a lot about that and Asian American culture because I grew up with this perception of what success is supposed to be. And like not to say that our parents hammered that into our heads as Asian Americans growing up, but like they totally did. Yeah. But like, you know, (laughs) there was a lot of encouragement where we would get the feedback that being a doctor, a lawyer, um, you know, something white collar, licensed professional was the ultimate goal, you know? And like, and if you made it, you would be the topic of conversation at family dinners. Like, oh, what's I holding? Uh, yeah. you know? <laughs> oh, I think it's Idima. There's <laughs> actual know? praise going on. Yeah, Instead yeah. Of like, and no, that, transi- the black sheep. that translation is, um, you know, your your son or your kid is is very smart. Yeah. And uh, and when you say something like that in a family gathering, that means that they're that typically means that they're successful and they're doing well and and that reflects on the family. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And th- there's a lot of like you bring a lot of honor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even within the family, there's a lot of internal flexing. You get what I mean? It's oh, like, yeah, oh yeah, total. what's what's yeah? What are they up to now? What are they doing? And it's why do like, they always flex it? Like. I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's in our culture. Yes, the, the culture. Yeah. But they go hard. The immigrant parents, like, they, yeah. they go hard. Like, come over. Let me show off my new TV. Look at yeah. my son's trophy. Look yeah. at, like, they go hard, Yeah, and man. in the opposite direction. And even in the opposite direction, they'll be like, how's your son? It's like, and if, if they're not like that typical, you know, doctor or, or, or lawyer or whatever, they'll be like, what's son? My daughter. Oh, I'm dead. <laughs> Damn. I, I mean, that's extreme. That's intense, yeah. yeah, that's intense. Intense. Yeah. But I've seen it happen. So. Damn, yeah. you okay, Norm? Oh, no. no. <laughs> I'm, good. I'm, good. I'm not talking about myself. Yeah. I'm not talking about myself. Yeah, I'm playing, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I did see those challenges with a lot of my friends, you know, especially even my guys and my team. I think it took a lot of convincing mm-hmm. for their parents to understand what we were doing. Yeah. Um, even with, like, our first barber, Tim, right? Um, uh. I actually sat down, had dim sum with his parents, his whole family mm-hmm. to tell them about the project. Oh, wow. And I think that it was like, I offer that because I understood how like Chinese culture works. You know what I mean? It's like for her to, for his parents to accept and be like, yeah, I'm going to let Tim follow you on this journey. I had to kind of convince her a little bit. And like, first it was me paying my respects to them and saying like, Hey, listen, like your son's going to be cool. Like it's, like, this is the plan. You can trust me. I did pull my strings and say, yeah, I used to be an accountant. <laughs> you know? It's like, I'm not just, you know, some loser guy. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy because it's like, they respect it. You know what I mean? And it's like, so I never really regret it, but it's like, um, 
I think it's just understanding how the culture works, you know. I don't think part of the people listening understand how challenging passing the CPA exam is. And I was talking to you, you were downplaying it too a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's hard. I've watched people study for it and stress over it and fail certain parts. Right. And just, it's it's a full-time job studying for that exam, is it not? Absolutely. I mean, um, I... I was able to accomplish the feat during busy season, so I was extremely lucky given my time constraints. Some people who sometimes, what they'll do is they'll block off time, like they'll quit their job just so they can focus on it or work part-time. Yeah. You were full-time. Oh, Asians don't believe in that. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, yeah, it's a, I, I think that's it, insane. I think it's always been in our blood to push and work hard, um, even if it's past the normal working hours, right? I always describe yeah. that as like the Chinatown heart and soul, you know yeah. what I mean? Like... Like, even though we may or may not know something, and I, and I think I see that a lot with the, with our, you know, uh, our predecessor, like our, like the past generations, like the OGs in Chinatown, but they'll put in the extra hours to work, even if they don't got it completely sure. figured out, you know what I mean? For sure. So it's the tenacity, that hard work that pushes us through. And it's like, that's what we grow up seeing our parents do. So like, for us to say like, hey, we need a break to take the exam. Like even my mom would be like, "What are you doing? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> what, yeah. are you thinking? <laughs> what are you thinking? We, we don't we don't shy away from the hustle. And if we yeah. if we do show a little bit of, bit of weakness, the parents will step in a little bit. Like, yeah. hey, you know, you got a lot more left in the tank. Right, right, right. And like our drill sergeants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> that I think gives that, hugs, sort of. <laughs> yeah, no, no, for sure. I, I think that like as that that's them loving us, you know, and and yeah, the way is. that they know how, you know. Yeah. So it's like um, that that level of encouragement to continually pushing us to know that there's a little bit of fuel left, you know. Yeah. So um, I, I definitely pushed myself to the limit during that point. It was like I remember um, working in an office till late, till maybe 11 and, and think telling myself, like, I ain't going to go home. Damn, until, bro, you crazy. Yeah. Breakfast, lunch and dinner in the office. right? Yeah, for sure. Damn. I mean, it was convenient, too. So like, whatever. You and know? you're staring like, at a computer screen. It's so mundane and boring. Oh, like, yeah. the only time you're talking to someone else is when you guys are trying to figure out certain things. Right. Yeah. Um, That's so I, I'm sorry. For me, I find that agonizing. Yes and no. Um, I'm not going to lie. I think that my personality inherently always brought fun into whatever work I did. So whether fun and accounting, yeah, that's yeah. like an oxymoron. Yeah, whether it was for the right reasons or not, <laughs> like I would, I would be a clown. I would be the goofball. That's I was cool. like, through my accounting career, I remember like at one of my past firms, um, HR awarded me like the class intern clown. You know what I mean? So it's like <laughs> I, I just found ways to bring fun into the workplace, um, whether or not you know um, everybody would have accepted it. But I think that it was just me finding ways to. Um, make it enjoyable. You know what I mean? If you got to do it, you got to make a little fun out of it, you know? Yeah, I agree. But sometimes it's, uh, <laughs> wow. You, I mean, that I think that takes a special personality to yeah. do that because it's hard not to be miserable in that scene, especially in, in that type of corporate culture. I mean, I, I mean you, I, I'm sure you're aware it's, um, some of it can be unfriendly. Um, yeah, um, just corporate culture is cutthroat. I think it's very, um, it is very black and white in some sense. Um, very bottom line oriented. Um, not a, not a lot of the energy goes outside of the box thinking, you know what I mean? And I think that recognizing all of those things was what kind of made me retract the further I got into it. And now that's what I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Is there some sense of like, maybe I shouldn't have got my CPA. I wasted a lot of time 
going that route and it's also pretty lucrative yeah. right? that's automatic six figures um right? yeah i guess depending on what you do and how you want to take it you could really like i mean with the, with um i mean if you continue doing it there's there's definitely like a, a fruitful road ahead um i just think that the biggest thing that occurred to me in my reflection was like I really narrowed it down. You know, I really looked at the pros and cons of the situation and what it meant to have life. You know what I mean? And I Even at, if it meant less money. Yeah, yeah, of course. Absolutely. Because you got to really look at the pros and cons of the situation to really make decisions, right? I tell anybody that enters my space or ever has a question of like, oh, should I switch? Should I do this and that? List it out. Write it out on a notepad. You know, what are the pros if I do this what are the cons if i do this it's very analytical yeah right like there. just write it yeah, down look at, part. Yeah. yeah look at it big picture and then you'll yeah. see your whole list because people sometimes try to just make decisions in their head and like you know it's not going to be as clear of a decision as if you write it down so like i've had situations where people came in the wannabe barbers that are they're young young guys and they're not sure yet and i go yo go home and write a list down and then come back to me with your decision yeah. you know i can give you my two cents you can ask me all the questions you want as you're coming up with this list but make this decision for yourself, not for anybody else. And so, like, I think um, when I challenge myself to make that decision, like, yo, um, I listed everything out, you know, continuing career here or like doing something else. Or like if this career was, you know, if I was going to go another year, two years, go into a startup and do it or go somewhere else and do it, go maybe in a marketing firm, maybe that could change the environment and do it. And you got to just look look at all the cards you have, you know what I mean? And um, I think what really did it for me was staying in that career only meant one thing and that was money. And, um, number one, I've kind of, I felt like I exhausted my professional growth. I exhausted my personal growth. In two years. Wow. Well, two and a half years full time. And then, uh -huh. um, uh, four years of like interning and like, you know, most people yeah. don't get that lesson or feel that way until they reach their 50s in their professional career, maybe 60s, when they're nearing retirement. Right, right. And and I can see that. And I see that with individuals that come into our shop. And um, that's the same advice I give them. You got to go home and reflect. Even at 50? Yeah. I reflect every day. I, I reflect on conversations that I had two days ago. So it's never too late. Yeah. I mean, you just got to keep your mind running. You know what I mean? You only choose to accept reality when you yourself give up on continue to think about like you know continuing to work your mind to think about different ways to go about it you know i think that um i never i never accept i never accept the path that's given to me because i always think about different ways to go about it you know like if i'm not doing this what could i do if if we're not doing this how can we improve it you know um so i think that when i like going back to what i was saying earlier i kind of like narrowed it down you know personal growth was was um getting capped out professional growth was getting capped out uh professional networking was getting capped out i was going to happy hours meeting the same group of people you know i looked at my rolodex it was a bunch of accountants and finance people um where did i get my energy from where did i get my passion from that was getting tapped out you know uh, I, when i first got into the full-time job i was super excited not gonna front like I, I went to these like trainings and like listened to these like speakers talk and like yeah there was this fast track partner I actually net ended up networking with him, um, heard his story. And like, you know, I felt like I was exhausting all that I was getting out of that place. And so um, at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, even if I translated and went to a marketing firm, I would exhaust that very soon too. If I translated and like, you know, doing accounting anywhere else, like though, like none of that growth would have been exponential. 
So really throwing myself into the jungle by saying like, hey, I'm really like if I give up money, which was the only pro at the time, if I just give that up and take a step back and reset, what's the worst that could happen? And I realized there was no worst that could happen. You know what I mean? Mm. And I think that that's um, brave. That's easier said than done. It's hard to walk away from from money security. Yeah, yeah. because it gives you freedom and options. But at the same time, it, it's interesting because money can also take away your freedom and options in right. this case. Right, right, right. And I think that um, I think that's like a big lesson learned for myself. And uh, and I try to I try to give that wisdom to everybody that I meet. Right. Um, I understand that how I understand that money is you know, financial responsibility, you know, whether it's to your family or to yourself. And like, that's important to have as a priority. But when you don't necessarily need to have it as your priority, don't make it so that it is. Because therefore, you really limit yourself from really achieving your full potential anywhere else. Because people that are tied to their salaries, right? Like, I have friends that make a good amount of money, you know, like, they're pretty comfortable at their corporate jobs making like, you know, uh, 180, maybe 200, you know, something nice and comfortable. And, um, you know, I, I look at that and I'm like, do you really need that much? And like the exercise that I ran for myself, actually, when I decided, actually, before I even decided that I was going to do like be an entrepreneur and open up my own shop and do something like that, I actually made the decision that I wanted to do marketing. I wanted to do something completely different. And I was down to even take like 20 grand a year, you know, wow, like, like something as low as that, because I looked at it and I was like, how much money do I really need in life? And, wow. I, and, I, and I looked at all my bills, right? And I looked at um, all my expenses for the last six months of my life. And a lot of it was spent on things that I didn't need. Like, you know, I was spending a lot of money eating out. You know, I was spending a lot of money buying clothes, buying this and that. And then I started looking at what are the things that are really a necessity. And if I just held that back for like a couple of months just so that I could gain more growth for myself, why not? You know what so I mean? You, so if you scaled back and practiced minimalism, yeah, you you figured, you know what, I I could get a lot more back spiritually. Yeah, well, not even spiritually. Even I think it's the idea is investing yourself, right? Because with newfound perspective and newfound skills and newfound opportunities, who knows where your growth could be? It could be ten x. It could be hundred x. But if you don't take that step to get uncomfortable, um, really throw yourself into the water. Um, then you're not going to get that experience. So it's really about reallocating where your focus is. Yeah. Right. Whether it's time or money. What gave you the idea to open a barbershop? Um, and this type of barbershop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's funny. It's like when I passed by that spot, I actually had no idea what to do with it. Um, but I knew that we wanted something here in Chinatown. Uh, I think at the time, a lot of our friends were opening businesses um, and that served as great inspiration for us, you know? Um, so seeing like the 10 below guys open, seeing like, um, my boy at, at glue open, there was like Taiyaki, there was like, um, milk and cream. It was a lot of dessert stores at the time, but like, that was like, that was like Dude, the Asian, was like, Asian desserts, yeah. you know, it was like all popping off at the same time. And the margins are fantastic on that. So how can you not get in that business? Right. Yeah. You it's know? crazy. So it's like looking at that and seeing all these guys kill it was super inspirational. And I think at the time we, we wanted to do something. We just didn't know what. And the first instinct was like, yo, the bubble tea space. You know what I mean? <laughs> and we spent a little bit of money on like bubble tea equipment and machines. Oh. And, um, and I, I reflected one day 
And I thought about it. And I was like, if I did bubble tea, would I really be happy with what I'm doing two years from now, three years from now? Would I get the personal, professional uh, growth that I wanted? Would I get the networking that I wanted? Would I be able to grow and get the income that I wanted? How much could you scale it? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And I started thinking about it and I realized like, shit, like, like it is, it is, there was an opportunity to kind of come into the industry because there wasn't that much competition at the time. There was your Kung Fu tea, there was your, um, your Gong Cha, and there was Boba Guys. Mm-hmm. And the angle that Boba Guys was taking was awesome, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. we just wanted to create a very similar variation to that, mm-hmm. you know? And I felt like there was still room in the market for that. Um, but for I think sure. ultimately, me just, me realizing that it didn't hit the marker that I wanted for all those things, personal growth, professional growth, maybe how I could scale this business. And if I see myself in the industry in the next couple of years, me realizing that I wasn't going to get as much as I wanted out of it made me think differently. And I realized, hey, maybe if not that, then what? And at the time, we were just like slinging shoes, like reselling kicks. Mm-hmm. Um, um, me and my boy Matthew were just like selling kicks, like, you know, just through flight club, stadium goods. Oh, so you guys like, were just flipping? Yeah, just flipping yeah. sneakers, like mm-hmm. buying and selling it, your average reseller, you know, mm-hmm. um, scaling it up, uh, using computer co- programs at time. Oh, bots? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Assholes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. High-frequency trading right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, were, we, were, we were the fat nerds behind the computer. <laughs> the reasons why I had to buy my Jordans for 300. Oh, God. <laughs> and my Yeezys, no, okay. Yeah, I mean, yo, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, we were, we, yeah. We were part of that scene and um, it was fun. It, it was... Uh, uh, it really like showed us like what it was like to make money fast. You know what I mean? Fast money. Mm-hmm. So like I've seen that before. You know, um, Saturday morning in my underwear. Yeah, yo, you're getting yeah. all these easies. You know, it's like <laughs> it's lit. It's lit. Yeah, it yeah. was really good at the time. Super lucrative. Um, but then like I think that um, would you guys would make like two three hundred percent profit on it? Oh, it really depends. Yeah. I think it really depends on the shoe, the trend. Yeah. Honestly, sometimes you would lose a lot of money. Um, with yeah, with sneaker botting uh stuff like that it's like you take a huge risk not a lot of people know that a lot of people hear about the upside stories but there is a lot of downside stories i mean there's there's moments in my career in sneaker botting where i spent all the money on the resources and didn't get any pairs what yeah yeah it's like you you mess up one little setup one little step in your setup and it can screw you yeah so it's like there, there was a big risk to that and there was a lot of it's a high anxiety environment where you're, sp- you're you're spending a lot of money hoping to get a return um People don't see that. People see the glory. People be like, yo. Yeah, that's what I see. I'm like, damn. Because all my friends that are sneakerheads, that are resellers, Mm -hmm. they, number one, they got the freshest kicks Mm -hmm. and all the Supreme stuff. And then they they seem to like not worry about money as often because they know that the next drop is coming and they're going to be able to handle it. You know what's crazy? They don't tell me about the L's that they take. I'm not even going to lie. I actually really, I really started to dislike that mindset that I had that I was building because of the resale game uh-huh. where you, what you just mentioned right now was um, not worrying about money mm-hmm. because it was so easy to print it. Right. So it was like um, you weren't really working for it, if that makes sense. It's like I felt like um, the fact that we would cover and use ex- and make excuses for not performing or like not doing certain things was because we could get money. You know what I mean? And I think that uh, that mentality started to turn me off when I was reflecting about it. So like, just to give you a really good example about that, it's like, oh, let's just say we messed up somewhere on building this one thing or like we're doing something. um, Hmm. Actually, 
how, how would I give you an implied example? But like essentially, like let's say we we messed up and we 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 it costed us like five thousand dollars. We like ah whatever. There's next week. We'll 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 make the money back. You know like like let's just say we and we get us lazy too. You're like oh you know you could do this for money, but like yeah why do that for money when I can sell sneakers? You get what I mean? Yeah. The motivation was not what you were. You want to be a creator. You want to create something versus uh, you just you know flipping. Flipping um, shoes just to create an extra buck. Well, at the time, it wasn't as immediately apparent mm-hmm. that that's what I wanted. But I think it was more like the idea that money was so readily and easily achievable that you start to care less about things. You you start you start you stop you forget about the idea of working hard right. to make money. And it just doesn't seem real anymore. Mm. Yeah, right. And you use it as excuse to cover for certain like um, things places where you fall short it builds bad habits yeah so so like exactly i I think that it was building um a mindset for myself that i felt like i wasn't proud of you know what i mean um like i could just be like oh yeah you know what forget that like why would i do that when i could do this and it wasn't wasn't really opening up myself to all this different type of learning you know because i believe i really strongly believe that um it's not the money that you make at the end of the day right it's the journey and how you get there that really makes it all worth it. You know, so you're I mean? in it for the story. Well, I'm in it for the experience. Yeah. I'm in it for my own memories. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if I jo- go from zero to a hundred the next day, like what, what fun was that? So money is not the ultimate goal for you. It doesn't move you. Yeah. It doesn't I, dictate your decision making. Yes. I think after I realized that it changed the whole game for me. Like now, um, now your sneaker days, what was that? Was that after the corporate gig? Yeah, it was after the corporate okay. gig. That's when we started to really like, really focus on it. Um, um, yeah, and I think on that a good weekend, how much can you make? Like on a Yeezy drop or mm, something exclusive? It really depends. It's a gamble. So like sometimes it's like on a good weekend, everything goes right. Like a good weekend, you could get like three, four hundred pairs. Damn. Yeah, three, four hundred pairs easy. And like, I remember one release. Um, we, it was like the first 12 minutes and we already hit like 500 pairs. And then like, yo, we were stressed out because here's the thing. Are you worried about selling 500? Well, if they're like exclusives. And- yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that you, you, you do. Yeah, I was worried. Of course. I mean, at that time, it's a high anxiety environment. Like you, you run the programs and then let's just say it goes from zero to 100. You're like, holy crap, how am I going to pay for all this? Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and am I going to sell it all before before I have to pay the credit card bill? And you got to worry about a lot of different things. Um, and I think that, yeah, I mean, there's, there's just so much movement because, like, you can't really gauge how much you're going to make either because let's just say a supply is so plentiful, right? You could actually end up with a brick. Mm-hmm. So basically, let's just say, you like, we, we don't work at Nike. We don't work at Adidas. I don't know what their stock numbers are. But, like, I know that I'm going to run this program. I'm going to buy a ton of shoes. But, like, I remember... If they made enough for everybody, basically, you're screwed. We're screwed. Mm -hmm. We're screwed. And I remember there was one release where we ran up, like, 500 pairs in 12 minutes. And then we stopped the programs right away. Mm -hmm. We literally went on, stopped all the programs. And we were like, holy shit. And we looked at all our credit cards. Charges, like, fucking, like, like, 20 charges plus per credit card. And we're like, geez, like... Like, yo, did we fuck up? <laughs> and then thinking about that, and then like the release happened, and there was still demand, and we were good. Oh. But like, we didn't know. You guys until, must have been high fiving like crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. A rush. But we didn't know until afterwards. But then you got to understand that 
uh, the industry's gotten more competitive now. So more people are figuring it out. Yeah, more people are figuring it out. Um, there's only a select few of people that still do it like that. Um, my friend still does it on every single release. Um, I mean, the money is good. The money's still there. So one weekend they it's can make money. as much as some a college a recent college grads makes in a year. Yeah, but I'm, I'm talking about like his all time high. And I'm pretty sure that he can probably do that at at least. He could repeat that performance a couple of times a year at least. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, right. multiple times. So I mean, like if you look at his annual salary, it beats some of these engineers. Oh, absolutely. There's <laughs> there's engineers that are doing this now. Yeah. There, there's there's uh people that I know a lot of. I actually know a lot of uh, Wall Street guys that got into this mm-hmm. that have left their jobs doing this. Yeah. So See, like they don't teach this shit in school, man. It's like uh, option trading, but with sneakers. I would say it's less of a gamble. <laughs> It's, oh wow! It's more it's less, yeah, yeah, because because once you get the product right, like here's the thing: it could become a brick, right? But you could always get close to what you paid for it. Mm-hmm. There's like there's a really good chance that you can. So there's no there's not a lot of downside. There's wow. way more upside than there is downside. It's a very honestly, it's a pretty secure play. So I think that um, not now though. No, um, well, it's very saturated. Now it's still a very secure play. It's just a lot more competitive. You know, there's a lot more people in this market. There's a lot more people playing it. My now, friend, when you say that, does does that mean that it's harder? Mm-hmm. And does that also mean that you're still making money, but you're making less? Both. Okay. Depending on how you do things, because now there's new ways of doing things. Um, actually, I just recently hopped back into resale. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, so like, um, it's we, it's part of our new plan. That's what I'm saying. I was it's, like, it's, yo, it's, it's there's so much of, money in it. How can you walk away? Yeah, it's alluring. You know, it it, it, it things have. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Things have gotten rough for us. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's kind of like resorting to going back to old ways. You know. Yeah. Wait, let's go back. So, how did you start yeah. the barbershop, and then we'll continue with the. Um, but talk yeah, about sure. the journey because it yeah. sounds like it, it took steps. Before you arrived, right, 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 right where where you are now, we entered that space doing uh doing retail. Um, that was kind of like the focus at the time. Mm-hmm. We wanted to see if we can help generate a DTC relationship to our customers. So at the time, we were selling um mostly with like Flight Club, Stadium Goods, Goat, StockX, you know, wherever we could sell. One of the secondary platforms, uh, where all where all the reselling happens. And all these platforms, you got to pay a fee, right? Anywhere from 8 to 20%. And at that time, you know, we had enough product to sell and there was enough demand from the people that we knew. It just kind of was like an obvious answer to us to be like, hey, why don't we just try to sell it to these people directly, make a better margin, and they could save some money, right? Because let's just say I sell, sell a pair of shoes for 100 bucks. Um, if I sell it through Flight Club, they take, um, or same goods, they take like 20%, right? Well, the rates are a little different now, but... Let's just say, for example, they take 20%. And um, I would get 80 back. And um, Flight Club would take the 20. And the customer would pay the 100, right? So, for example, it was very obvious to us that, like, hey, why don't we sell it for 90, right? We make a little bit more. Um, then the customer gets it for less. Hmm. So it's kind of like a very obvious, you know, scenario. So we're like, oh, cool. All right. We'll just keep doing our thing. We'll keep buy shoes. And then we'll sell it through 12 Pell. And um, we curated and like the experience to, you know, you, uh, if you've seen our shop, it's a super tiny shop. Um, but we wanted to not have like a full inventory of items the way that Flight Club or Stadium Goods has. And for us, it was more so telling the story behind every collection because I think that that would have been cooler. 
you know, we were looking at new ways to do the same thing that they were doing, to be honest. And um, so we curated collections and told the story behind it. You know, like here's the Yeezy collection. Here's all the Yeezys that we have from every single Yeezy released from Nike to Adidas. Um, and we had them all up for display. So you can see it, look at, look at it, touch it, hear the story behind it. There's some security there? Uh, no, no security at the time. Oh, man, yeah. you guys are crazy. Yeah, we were crazy. <laughs> um, but I mean, we only had one side of the shoe there. Okay. <laughs> so you got to be pretty crazy trying to get something from us. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, and it was like, we wanted to create that retail experience. And at the time, we were thinking, hey, we'll throw one chair in the back just to make the retail store different, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so that's when I found Tim. And I was like, yo, Tim, we got this great idea. Let's do this. Let's do this. Like, I need one barber. Um, and he was like, yeah, I'm game. Had I had done some with his parents, got that seal of approval from them. Um, I think it was a day before we were set to go to barber school. Oh, and I say we because originally it was supposed to be just Tim going to barber Wait, school. Wait, so none of you guys knew how to cut hair prior to having the idea? No, no, no. Tim did. But oh, Tim, I was saying, I was like, Tim must be nice with the clippers for you to just want to you know, yeah, collect yeah. that talent. Oh, uh, well, he was. He was cutting yeah. a lot of like the homies out in Brooklyn. Uh-huh. And um, out of his own like shop, basement. his basement. Oh, basement. basement. Yeah, oh. yeah. It was like, it wasn't really anything serious. I think that he was just doing it for fun. He was out of college and he didn't really know what else to do. But like he had a pair of clippers and his homies, people just kept asking him to get haircuts. And then soon what started for fun became a whole clientele list. And then it was out of his basement. So like, I felt like, you know, maybe we could take this up one level, you know, put it into a retail store and like people could enjoy that experience, you know, come in, see some kicks, get a haircut, mm-hmm. shoot the shit. And then, you know, go on their day and it's Chinatown. So I was like, it's a, it's a, it was a hot destination at the time, you know? Um, and so it just made sense. And then like the day before Tim was going to go to barber school, he actually hit me up and he was like, yo, Carjo, um, I actually don't know about this. He's like, oh, I, I kind of don't want to come out. Uh, uh, oh, he was supposed to meet up with me to kind of like finalize like, like that. Yeah, he was going to go do it. Whoa, so last minute, last minute, he was trying to pull out. And I was like, what? I was like, no, that's crazy. And I was yeah. like, I was like, yo, I don't care, bro. I was like, yo, listen, just come out, you know. And he's like, all right, fine. So he took he, he drove out. He, he sat at my crib and we talked about it. And I was like. But then I was still kind of uneasy by that because I felt like, wow, yeah. what happens if we open and then he just decides mm-hmm. at that point he doesn't want to do it anymore. And then, Wait, is he a partner um, at, at he, this point or he, he was just going to be he, a barber? Um, I mean, we're all stakeholders. Okay. Um, and at the time he wanted to, um, he just wasn't sure. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't, it had nothing to do with like ownership or anything like that. Okay. He just wasn't sure if barbering was going to be his career that he wanted to, to continue to pursue. Okay. And mm-hmm. so like that uncertainty kind of got me woke and I was thinking like, oh snap, like we can't have an empty chair if we do open or like, let's say he opens, he tries it for three months and realizes he doesn't like it. And then now it's an empty chair. Right. So I was like, you know you what? Wanted to make sure he was reliable. Yeah. And yeah. then, so like, you know what? I was like, I'll go to barber school myself. So I actually went to barber school with him to show him how committed I was about this idea. And I actually went to go learn the ropes myself. Ooh, and, like a true leader. Wow. And then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I think I do, I do believe in a lot of like learning from the ground up. Yeah. I do believe by learning by doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the best way. So I got in there, I got my hands dirty. Like, you know, we, we were building the store at the same time. And I was going to barber school. So like, I would go into the shop at seven o'clock, like, you know, check out what the contractors did, then go straight to the barber school. 
um, go to school for like four or five hours and then come back and then check on the contractors. And it was a busy day back then. Mm-hmm. But um, being at barber school really opened my eyes on that industry because I took a lot of that time to learn. You know, I spoke to every single student that was in there. I spoke to all the OG barbers that were finally getting their license. And like, whether it's to open their own store or to take it to the next level or to bring an apprentice in or this and that, like everybody had a different motive for bar- going to barber school. But I, the one common denominator- I didn't even know they had a barber school. Oh, yeah. I you mean, had to be a, a professional, a certified professional, right? Yeah. I no idea. Stuff. You have to be um, state licensed. Mm-hmm. And there's two ways you can go about it. And number one is being an apprentice. Mm-hmm. Um, ha- and we have an apprenticeship at 12 Hell. Um, or it's uh, being uh, licensed- through the state schools. So like there are schools that um that are that the state board approves to help, you know, help one get a uh, get a barber license. Like a certified. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, you get the course done there and then you take a state exam. Mm-hmm. How how long is that process? It's about 6 months. Whoa. Yeah. It's Whoa. hard. It's hard. And I think that the industry, I saw a lot of flaws there. I saw a lot of challenges there, and that's what opened up my mind to do something there because not a lot of people have thought outside of the box in that, in that space. So number one, I identified a lot of people um, that were at the barber school at the time mm-hmm. only wanted to be there because they, were ta- because they didn't want to do a desk job. So it's not that they were truly passionate about barbering. It's just like, why, why, like I would ask a lot of students like, oh, why do you want to do this? And oh, I, don't, I don't want to work retail. Or like, oh, I don't want to um, work a desk job. That's not for me. And then, so they're, they're at barber school. But I was like, do you want to be a barber? And like, eh, you know, like it's better than that. So at the time, I felt like there wasn't a lot of sexy talent either, you know, because not a lot of people were super passionate about it in that space. Yeah. And so, like, I recognized immediately, you know, that should anybody come into this space and was really passionate about doing something disruptive there, there's a really good chance. So then that's when the space, start, our concept started to evolve from one chair to two chairs. And I was like, oh, wait, let's make it a two chair space. Mm-hmm. Then in the middle barber school, I was like, you know what? We have to make this a three chair space. It is such a spontaneous way of the way you guys came about. I love it. Yeah. I think that you, being an entrepreneur, the, the, the best lesson that I've learned over the last three years is really recognizing your opportunities um, and then being able to move with them. Ooh, that's powerful. Recognize yeah. your opportunities. And being able to move with them. That's yeah. powerful. Yeah. So like that's how we ended up with the three chair space, a little bit of retail. So right now you guys have three chairs. Uh right now we actually have five. So we we moved it up to five because um post COVID was there pre pre COVID. Yeah, pre COVID. Well no, no. So we actually did that post COVID. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. We did that post COVID, even though there was less business, but we wanted to create more space so that like like if you know we want to create a degree of separation, you know, you could. And that, like, you know, somebody could take the last chair and the middle gotcha. chair and the first chair. And then we had dividers up and everything oh, okay. like that. So it was just, like, um, being able to create more space. And and at and post-COVID, we weren't using the retail as a pop-up space anymore. Oh, yeah, by the way, we forgot to mention, like, pre, pre-COVID, we were a pop-up event space. Uh, we, we love to share the space for other creatives. Mm-hmm. Um, we charge almost, like, nothing, like $75 an hour, uh, no minimum uh, time requirement. So if you want to come in for one hour... You can mm-hmm. come in for one hour. Uh, I think a big part of that was we recognized trying to be creatives ourselves when we weren't like, you know, um, you know our background was accounting and like um, a lot of the finances and things like that. But like not having the in in the creative scene with, you know, whether it's a videographer, photographer, architect, designer, this and that. Right. Like we had none of those connects. 
So trying to build those connects was so hard mm -hmm. that we were like, you know what? We want to be able to help any other person who has a dream behind their desk. And so that's why we made like the front, like a pop-up space mm -hmm. uh, where anybody could come in, rent, rent an hour, try out that concept, whether it's a clothing brand, whether or not they have some art done. Um, we've had like an engagement scavenger hunt, you know, <laughs> like whatever your ideas are, like the whole idea is that we wanted to come and support it because we realized how hard it was for ourselves. That's great. So we opened up that as like a public pop-up space, but post COVID we were like, oh snap, we like really- So you guys bought that? You guys own 12 Pal? Like, oh no, no, we didn't. Oh, you guys are leasing it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. yeah. But then like we just had events that like ran in and out of our space. Got it. Yeah, yeah. You guys are finding some success. Uh, you said you um, had some news outlets and major publications reach out to you. Like, um, what did you say? One was Yahoo Finance and what were the others? Vice. Um, yeah, we, we did a little thing with Vice um, pre-lockdown. Pre so it was literally a week before lockdown and it was this, the topic was like xenophobia mm -hmm. and how it was affecting Chinatown, how it was affecting business. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, lucky enough, we caught attention with, um, with Yahoo and they did a little piece about us, about... Um, how Chinatown was um, like being resilient through the pandemic. And at the time, hope and, and everything was kind of like very like limited, you know, like um, even I myself, we thought about folding at some points. You oh, know? you did? Yeah, yeah, we did. Oh, wow. We did because simply like you, you just didn't know when the light was at the end of the tunnel. COVID was so new, right? It was, it was definitely it was pretty scary. Sc it was scary. It was very like, scary. You, you never see Chinatown shut down ever. And, and it didn't seem like they were, the system wasn't designed to, to deal with this and support businesses at the same time. Right. And like seeing everything shut down um, in Chinatown was definitely the scariest part. And so seeing that type of response from our community and how people were afraid really made us worry about the comeback and made all the guys in the space worry about the comeback. And we were like, holy shit, like, this might be it. This might be it. You know, like party's over. Yeah, party's over. Like right before this, we were on our high horses. We were throwing actual parties. Yeah. You know, like we we throw. I about, heard. Yeah, we, <laughs> we throw about like four parties a year. I, I heard about those barbecues that you did right outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yo, talk yo. about building community. Yeah, yeah. We're we're we're, we're kind of crazy. You know, like <laughs> I think I think we're the we're the type that's willing to try it and then. And then um, when someone's here to shut us down, oh, shoot, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't know. Pack, yeah, I swear. Just, let me just pack up my stuff and, and, and get out of here. Did you shut down? Um, no, never. I think... Because uh, I see, uh, I know a lot of other, uh, you know, where they grill outside and, mm. you know, yeah. party. I think uh, we did, we had a party, uh, we had, well, we had a couple barbecues, actually. Um, mm -hmm. But we had one barbecue, um, the most recent one uh, was July 4th. Um, at that time, we actually threw a activation for that. So we said this all super spontaneous, by the way. So like um, this was like a week and a half, two weeks after reopening. And um, let's see. Reopening was like June 22nd around that time. So that first week out, we were super busy, super booked out. It was like the craziest week we ever yeah. saw. You know, like we we had people coming in looking like chia pets. <laughs> was, yeah, yeah, yeah. We was fixing everybody up, and then the next week after that was nuts. It was straight empty, and we were oh, like, wow. "Oh shit!" Like this is wow. It. So you got like a pump fake. Yeah, and then we were like, "Yo, this is nuts!" And then That's... it wasn't only us, by the way. Mm. It was every other salon and barbershop on the block, 
and, and just so the listeners have an idea, like Pell Street's like Barber's Row. Mm-hmm. It's all the barber shops, all the salons, and it's been there since like the eighties, nineties, you know what I mean? Like like it's been it's just historically a place for grooming, you know, and beauty. So um we realized it was it was getting crazy. It was it was an issue. It was going to be an issue because we saw it wasn't only us, it was everybody else. You saw the salon stylist and the barber standing outside waiting for clients oh, now. That's the mm. worst. It was straight empty. The street was straight empty. Literally, you would look down the street, crickets. peek your head out, crickets, and you would see the other barbers and salon stylists just sitting outside. Yeah. And it was very disheartening. And I think that we went about a week realizing that. And then July 4th was coming up. And we realized, like, crap, that's crazy. And at that time during July, um, it's not like the city was dead, though. Like, I would bike around different neighborhoods. Oh, I would, yeah. I, 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 I would take my city bike around different neighborhoods. West Village was popping. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tribeca by the West Side Highways was popping. It was, like, not to say, like, back to normal, but people were out, yeah, you know? Dude, I mean, yeah, it's summertime. Definitely, there's a lot of foot traffic. Right. And, I mean, we're in the wintertime now, and it's 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 freezing and we went out yesterday and it was popping man so many people i'm like what you know everything you see in the news about new york dying i'm just looking around like yo people are drinking outside having a good time mingling talk yeah i mean at that time it was busy in every other neighborhood but chinatown that's true yeah and i remember getting groceries sometimes at like the whole foods in tribeca or like the target and then bringing in chinatowns like you would pass like maybe um broadway or canal street and then it would be dead and then you like pass that border and then it'd be like people, families are out, everybody's out, everybody's running around. Mm-hmm. And like go, even going back into central Chinatown was like a ghost town. And at that time, we were just like, wow, this sucks so bad. And I could just see it on everybody else's faces on the block, how like how down they were, you know, and how worried they were. Right. I'm sure these guys like on the block, um, you know, I don't think that any of them were ever prepared for this situation. And being the fact that their prices were that low. I, I knew that it was going to be a problem for them, you know? So um, we came up with the idea to throw a barbecue because we just wanted to boost the morale of all our neighbors. So we wanted to just like, hey, let's go buy all this stuff, throw a barbecue and give it out for free. So this was a barbecue for the community. Yeah. Not like to bring in customers, but just, just, just for, yeah, you just know, for the community. to boost morale. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's interesting that you say that uh, because all you guys are in the same field. Yeah. Yet, it doesn't sound like there's um, like some type of competitiveness com- yeah, yeah. where you guys are h- kind of hating on each other. Nah, absolutely not. I think that that was actually one of our worries going into this like space, this industry, that like the other people would perceive us and be like, oh, crap, these these guys are going to try to come in here and do this and that. But it was actually complete opposite. It was all love. They yeah, were yeah. like, oh, you're trying to be all different. Well, maybe that's what <laughs> I mean. Yeah. I don't know what they said behind doors. <laughs> yeah. But like, I think for the most part, yeah, it was very supportive. Like a lot that's of beautiful. the, yeah, a lot of the, the, the OGs in the block came over and said like, oh, wow, this is so dope. You know, like this is so inspiring to see that you mm-hmm. guys are doing this. I think they themselves saw like the young talent come in mm-hmm. and it was like them looking at themselves, you know, when they were doing this. Yeah. So I think a lot of that was super supportive. Um, that's so cool, man. Yeah, funny enough, we actually threw a barbecue at that time too as an icebreaker and it went really well. So that's mm-hmm. why when we wanted to throw the second barbecue around when things were like, you know, like, you know, kind of like 
you know, it wasn't a good situation at time. Throwing the barbecue just made the most sense to bring everybody's morale up. Mm-hmm. We got like a DJ to come in. Shout out to DJ Kevin Lim for pulling uh, through. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like we teamed up with um, uh, Wilson from Namwa. And we had like. Hey, we Doyle. had him on. Yeah, we yeah. had him on. Well, it's going to yeah. release. Yeah, but this week. But yeah. Cool dude, yeah. <laughs> nice. Great guy. Yeah, yeah. So like we, we teamed up. We threw something on the block. He let us use the kitchen. Uh, we posted right in front of his spot. Um, and. The oh, yeah, you thing. guys are neighbors. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The yeah. funnier thing was, um, last minute we just decided, yo, why don't we shoot a video? Yo, we don't. Our, our schedules are empty. It's whatever. Giving out complimentary haircuts wasn't like foreign to us before because we've done it a ton times in the past, right? Um, and we were like, you know what? Anybody who spends forty five dollars in Chinatown on July fourth will get a free haircut on us. And we when we we shot this like video in like literally fifteen minutes, mm-hmm. and we just we chopped it up, we put it on to Instagram, and it's nuts because it, like we woke up the next morning, we posted at eleven p.m. by mind you, and so we just posted it and passed out, and then <laughs> next morning we woke up and it was like thousand shares, and we're like, what Ooh, the hell is going oh, on? It was going IG? viral, yeah, and it was oh, like yeah. we were getting tagged. People Yo, getting I followed. love your energy, man. And that's I, that's I real like, cool. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. It was yeah. like we, un, unexpected because yeah. like we we just wanted to put it out there because I think. It wasn't recognizing only that it was slow for barbershops and salons, but it was recognizing it was slow for the restaurants, the bakeries, everything else, you know, like when we would go pick up lunch, like we would see that it was straight empty, you know, inside. And then and then that was when restaurants were allowed to reopen for takeout. But like there just wasn't people waiting for food, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, there wasn't a lot of deliveries at the time. And. We just super bummed out. So we were like, yo, let's do something that brings some awareness. Yeah. And like obviously we're lucky enough to be in tune with tech and social media that like we could put out an Instagram post. Right. But I felt like that was what, um, a lot of businesses didn't have access to, you know? Yeah. So like the fact that we did that, um, a lot of the people that shared it, uh, we, we got a lot of people who came in for comp- who actually came through, spent $45, got a complimentary cut, the whole shit snowball. Would you ask for like a receipt? Oh uh, yeah, we did. We, we said like, okay. yeah, show us the receipt. Um, just, I need a record of it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yo, you got to show that you spent some money in Chinatown. And, um, yo, it snowballed. And that whole thing snowballed into a feature in the Chinese newspaper. So shout out to Anna for putting us on because she saw what we did. From what? Which which newspaper? Um, It was... Was it Singtown? No, 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 it was the World Journal. Oh, World Journal. Okay, yeah. yeah. So then... um, Your parents must have been, like, super proud when they saw you. Yo, dude, that was ultimate, um, like, affirmation that, like you know like oh wow like this was yo because to be chinese is like yo, you're doctor lawyer or you make it in the chinese newspaper yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Like, that's what wilson for, said too yeah yeah, yeah. forget forbes forget, yeah, forget new york times yeah forget new york times they don't care about new york times because the relatives and everyone's reading that they see you know like oh right. wait that's my nephew right 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 that's my you know my cousin yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it was it was super sweet that happened it brought in two grandpas that came in uh-huh. um and one uh, and both of them said like they saw the cover, they saw the story, they wanted to come in and see what we were about, experience it, um, and that was super cool. So it just kept like bringing in new and good energy, mm, and it just yeah, it just kept the ball rolling for us. And then eventually we got more and more features. We came up, we came out with another story that talked about what we did and um, how we were doing things uh, during this time, um, and like our, our little bit of a barber journey on TikTok that went viral. And then we got like an ABC coverage on that. So things just start snowballing. Stories I hear from you, Wilson, 
people fighting for Chinatown and in several different Asian communities where they're able to keep uh, their mood elevator high. Mm -hmm. They're able to see the glass half full and take action and bring whether it's love i mean it could sound corny mm-hmm. but during this time we do need a lot of that right and bringing fun because again during this time we could use a lot of that where everyone's scared and afraid you're you're bringing um a, you know a social aspect back to it and showing that um we're still here right and we care and we're not going anywhere and that this will pass and and you're you're not seeing that verbally but you're saying that through your actions and people can stand behind that and having that energy i with these people that i've just been observing and, and speaking to that they're able to find success and actually thrive thrive during covid which mm. is mind-blowing right 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 um yeah i think a lot of that is personality right you you, you gotta you gotta always find um you gotta find a way to um give yourself hope you know what i mean and i think that how do you do that though it's really easy to say extremely challenging to do yes yes i think i had a lot of anxiety um uh during covid i think there was uh, i think that fortunately enough i i self-diagnosed myself when i saw this instagram post (laughs) i think i have like really good high function anxiety when i do have it so like i'm able to function under it um so like I'm, so you I'm, don't collapse yeah you, I, you don't um because a lot of people high anxiety what they'll do is they'll shut down and just build walls all around them yeah yeah i mean like avoidance I, I i think it was the first time i ever experienced like um like an anxiety episode you know i like of like thinking a lot and thinking very deeply thinking about because like for me i'm i'm a very big uh chess player you know i like to see different outcomes i like to play that out in my head and I like to see what could be the results. And I like to make a decision based on that. And because of COVID, dude, like my moves were stuck, you know, like it wasn't it wasn't moves that I can control yeah. anymore. It was like the government said we had to shut down. And where was the light at the tunnel? They didn't say. So it's like there was no planning for reopening because I didn't know when reopening was. So you didn't see the outcome. Yeah. So it's like it just it was all total doom and gloom. Yeah. 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 So like, I mean, let's talk about that. So that, how did you find hope? Right. That's yeah. Crazy. I mean, let's talk about that because I feel like not a lot of the stories that I've ever listened to talk about like the downside of all this. Right. Yeah. Because, let's do it. Because um, let's dive in. I think a lot of people do see the bright side. And I think um, it's tough because when you're in that element, it's really hard to crawl out. And um, you just, you know what, COVID, I learned a really big lesson from COVID, even I myself as a chess player, was um, you got to live day by day sometimes. You can't live too far in the future. You can't live too far in the past. You have to learn how to take it one day at a time when you encounter a challenge like that. Be present. Yeah, because at the end of the day, the moves are not up to you anymore. You know? The control is not in your hand. And the only way you can place that control back into your own hands is if you live in the present. And so like presently, I thought about it as, okay, number one, I don't know when we're going to reopen. Number two, yes, we're losing a ton of money right now. We're getting drained. Will we have to close? Maybe. Let's see how long we can last. Then I gave myself a time period for that runway. If we're not reopening by six months, it's time to to turn down the lease. It's time to fold. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? 
I made I made wow, that's a tough conversation. Yeah, yeah. I made it re- very, very realistic for myself. Like, if this is not gonna, if the upside is not gonna return, we ha- we would have to pull the trigger to close it. Um, I also I also looked at the situation and said, hey, what can I do? Right? How can I keep the people together? How can I keep my team together? Um, what can I do to continue to help people feel good at this time? And so, fortunately enough, my team is, um, yo, honestly, like the team, like I am and we are where we are because of the whole team. And every single day we would hop on Zoom meetings together and just have like conversations, talk about what's going on. And every day we connected throughout the whole quarantine. I think we had like maybe Sunday and, and, and Saturdays we didn't meet, but like some days when if guys wanted to meet, we would hop on anyways. Hmm. And like we would just talk and no matter what, as busy as everybody was busy, <laughs> whether it's playing video games or whatever it is, we carved out a little bit of time for each other. That's beautiful. And then we were just trying to help each other stay focused like, oh, let's improve on speaking skills. Let's do let's do writing exercises. And I and I and I saw and this is a collective of barbers having this discussion. Yes. And it's it's outside of the nature of barbering for barbers to do that. But I made that a goal for them because I wanted them to have something to focus on. Because if your mind was to run wild like mine and like go in all these directions, it's like it's so hard. Yeah. So I wanted them to stay focused on something where they can work on something to improve themselves mm. during this time. Because we're not working, like, you know, we're not working right now, you know. And it's so easy to kind of get lost in the sauce when you're not doing anything. So I wanted to give them a little bit of like hope, like I was talking about, you know. And so I was like. We would pep, I would come in with pep talk. We would listen to a TED talk together and share our feedback on what we thought about it. We listened to this one episode about like, you know, what types of people to invest in and how we can become those type of people. I um, saw that one. Yeah, on the TED yeah. talk, right? Yeah, yeah. And like it talks about how, like what type of characteristics would you look for, you yeah. know? Would it, would it be someone that runs straight, you know, and straight into a brick wall or someone that knows how to pivot out of it? Mm, yeah. um, we watched this marshmallow eating video where it's like, uh, which type of, like, you know how they put the marshmallow in front of the kid and then they see which type of kid eats it mm-hmm. and which type of kid would grow up into like the, a leader. And then like right. based on like that one decision. Right. What is it? If you give you one now, yeah. I'll give, give you one option. marshmallow now yeah. or I'll give you two later. Yeah. Right. I, I give you, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, then you see the kids the one, start the kid thinking. That thinks long term. Yeah. They, they, those are the kids that usually turn out to be uh, more successful in life. Yes, yes, yes. Right. And then and then we were just doing stuff like that, just watching yeah. videos and having discussions. And uh, at that time, it was very trivial. Like I would be like, yo, we'll do this and then we can edit the videos and then we can drop them as like, you know, like little pieces of content. We never ended up doing it, but the whole idea was to get them motivated and have hope. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's very, very big. Uh, living at the, like, you know, living presently. I realized at the time, uh, the only thing that I could do to give myself hope was to work on myself. So I learned how to cook everything I wanted to eat, you know, fried chicken. Um, oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like the Japanese pancake, you know. Yeah. Yes, the fluffy joints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I love those, yeah. Uh, and then, like, it was just, like, learning how to cook for yourself, learning how to do yeah. things for yourself, um, learning how to find happiness um, when everything was closed. Um, I don't normally watch a lot of TV, but like I, I, I hopped on a fuck, like couple of series and like I, I enjoyed watching a Netflix series for once. We hear a lot of uplifting stories and we touched on that in our, our previous podcast, but there's there's sides that aren't sexy and uh, right. not enough people kind of talk about it and address it and then figure out how to move beyond that. Yeah, I think the number one thing that I want people to understand, right? Because 
I think a lot of people take that leap to say that they want to be a businessman, they want to be an entrepreneur, they want to do, they want to be somebody who's disrupted in the space. And I think I want people to recognize that it's a shit ton of hard work and the fruits of the labor is not the money. So if you're going into any of these projects or, 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 or ambitions with the idea that there's going to be a lot of money there's going to be the big bag at the end of the day, you're not going to make it too far. You know what I mean? Because you're constantly looking at the wrong thing. I think that what you have to go into and you have to have this mindset ready when you're about to go into a business is that this is going to be a great learning journey. You know, that you're going to grow out of it professionally and personally. You're going to reflect every day and you're going to realize how far you've come from one year ago. And every single one of my dudes in the space that are on my team, they're here for the big bag at the end of the day. Yeah, that's true. But number one, the priorities that you're here to grow. Yeah. And that's actually the biggest distinction between anybody that I take onto my team that I work with. I always say be careful of the people giving advice and preaching and, and telling you stuff if they haven't done it. Yeah. If they haven't made those sacrifices. Yeah, and, and people still think it's very surprising that I've walked away from money before. I think that a lot of people that I speak to, even very successful business people, ask me why why don't I scale it so that's running in the background? Why don't I mm-hmm. do that? But it's it's a piece of it's a peace of mind that you have to provide for that. Yeah. You know? I find it more surprising that you yeah. walked away from all the time invested yeah. in studying to, to become a CPA. I mean, you went all in and you achieved the highest status you could possibly do. Yeah. Um, and, and you were able to just walk away from that. To me, it's more than walking away from a six-figure salary. Mm, yes, yes. Because I, I personally, because I look at time way more valuable than right, right, right. any currency. And, 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 to, you know? and to respond to that, I would say... Um, See, time invested, right, is only worth it if you're happy with the outcome of it. You know what I mean? And I think that if you continuously blindly invest your time because you've been so far and so knee deep into something uh, to to want to pull yourself out of it, um, it's like I feel like when if you're if you're so concerned with the time invested, you can't you, you're not able to unlock something else. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that like. Sure. Like as much and like I'm pretty knee deep right now where I am is with, you know, 12 Pell. Right. And, um, you know, I'm not gonna lie, like brand new and exciting opportunities fall into the lap every single day now. Every day is brand new. Every day is brand new. uh, Yeah. When you're in that corporate culture or I guess and not not, and not every accounting or someone in a corporate culture Mm -hmm. experience these caps. Right. Um, But. A lot of them do. Not everyone, but I would say most. Everything where I, I could not relate more, and I know a lot of people listening um, that are in that culture um, probably could not relate more. I'm seeing the same faces during happy hour. It, I've gone as far as I can during my career. Right. It's the same shit, different toilet, yes. right? So it's like enough is enough. Um, but some people just don't have that, I guess courage to break out of that bubble and they say this is they just kind of accept and say you know what it is what it is what else am i going to do especially i've already invested all this time and then and they're also thinking maybe uh, you know i don't want to let my parents down if i did and what would they think all my friends and and for you to just have that conviction yeah and and awareness and courage to break out that bubble is extremely rare yeah it really is i mean it's not rare to have that idea it's rare to have the action behind that idea and to continue doing it. Yeah. And then come back and where you made it and come back and share that story with everyone. 
I think that, that to say it's okay, it's okay to go over there. Yeah, we'll the, be all right. The words for that is empowered decisions. I think not a lot of people are able to make empowered decisions. I think that that comes from confidence. That comes from failing. That comes from realizing the consequences of your decisions and then improving on it. So I think that like at the end of the day, I think that the main question that somebody should always ask themselves is what's the worst that could happen? Uh. You know, and then I think that once you realize what your complete downside is, then you realize, can I live with that? You know, and I think that sometimes um, like and I know it's super cliche and a lot of people say this, but like the biggest risk is not taking that risk at all. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. And it's like, I always look at that and like, I'm, I'm super analytical, right? I love the data. I love the numbers. I love looking at all the facts. So like do that, you know what I mean? Like lay everything out, lay everything out on the table, all your concerns. I got a nine to five. I'm comfortable with that. I love it. That's a pro. I get off work and I can watch TV and do whatever I want. I love that. That's a pro. Some people, you know what, like at the end of the day, I think it's completely fine to be in love with your nine to five. There's certain personalities that love that. Absolutely. But if you recognize it, own it, you know, and if you are dreaming about maybe a side hustle or something else, you can still dream about it, but own the fact that you love the nine to five lifestyle. Yeah. And that's cool. Yeah. But I, I would say most people can't stand it. <laughs> that's, that's I mean, I'm they at. could, when, if, if they start to complain about it, they have to do something about it. Right. right. But most people just complain about it. Yeah. You know, and then they look for they look for another job within the same industry just to deal with it again. But mm. it's a vicious cycle, I but think, with a different company. I think when it comes to complaining, I think it's healthy, right? I think that um, I think that complaining is is the and I, and I think that when people complain about it, it, it may not necessarily mean that they want it, but it's just a way of someone dealing with their. It's like it's a mental wellness thing, you know? It's mm -hmm. like you let it out. Well, yeah, wellness. you don't bottle it up. Yeah, but I means. also think it can be self-defeating if you complain and never do anything about and you're all keep complaining about the same things and and never do anything to change your reality. Right, right, you know, right. You're you're going to it's I think that could be damaging to your mental health right at the same time and everyone else around you because it's the people that's close to you they're gonna get sick and tired of you you know like if and i'll just use something like a, like if you smoke and you're always co complaining about your cough i'm like dude <laughs> come word, <on."> word. <laughs> so it's I, like that i think i think as long as you understand the consequences of your action and like you also understand if um if your complaints are merely just on the surface level or if it means something deeper. Right. So I think you just got, you're, you got to be the one to dig steep. So like if people come to me and they say, Oh, I want to leave my job. I'm thinking about this and that. And three years later, they're still at the same job and they're still doing that. Yo, let's be real. Did you really hate it that much? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. there's obviously a level of comfort that you appreciate about your job, which is why you're there. And some people never want to leave that comfort and that's fine. Yeah. So I think that like whenever anybody asks me for advice, like, oh, what should I do? I have this opportunity or should I quit my job? Should I leave? Um, instinctively, because I, I, I have my, pa my like my experience in my past, I would always encourage them to try something new and say, yeah, what do you got to lose? But before I even suggest that, I always say, go back and figure out, is this actually what you really want? Words of wisdom, very strong Wise. words of wisdom. Wise at thirty too. Damn, <laughs> at thirty, yeah. I, I mean, I, I love wish it. I was. I wish I was this. And that's what 30. we love about the podcast. Yeah. You know, every you know, it's it's never the same, and we get to meet a lot of um, brilliant minds. You mm -hmm. know that yeah. we never knew would have existed, and the deep conversations. You know what's really cool? I think you guys gotta have um, some of my kids on this, and yeah. I think that 
you know how you're saying cool. why is it 30 it's it's really interesting because i talked to wilson tang about this too and wilson's like 40 right so like uh-huh. we're like a decade apart mm-hmm. and then me and my kids are a decade apart mm-hmm. and then you know in a couple of generations another decade apart but your kids referencing the guys that work at, at the shop oh uh, no oh no right? sorry i mean kids that i mentor Oh, you yo, you mentor oh, separately okay. from the yeah. barbershop. This yeah. is oh wow. Okay. So okay. I have I have a set of kids that I mentor separately. Um interesting how they all came to be and <laughs> I guess like so to say, you know, fell under my radar. Mm-hmm. But um this wasn't necessarily necessarily something I was actively looking for. It's just that how I found through the shop. Mm-hmm. And um so I have a set of kids that I mentor and like right now they're working on their own startups. Oh, wow. we're talking about like 19, 20 year old kids. And, oh, and one, of them, beautiful. one of them is absolutely killing it in the craziest ways. Um, so I think that it'd be really cool to see that generational wisdom being passed down because it's like the wisdom that you guys have that passed down to us, yeah. the wisdom that we have that passed down to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And it all starts with That's that. what it's about. Yep. That's what it's about. And man. they get faster and smarter. Oh, they're so quick on the social media. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. Amazing. Yeah, I feel so old when I yeah, watch them. Work. I feel like my parents. Like, I feel like when they're next to me and they see me on the phone, I'm a little embarrassed. Yeah, because they're like, "Damn, Will, you're so slow with it." They, they, they're just I, when I watch, I'm like, I didn't even want my phone could move that fast. Yeah, dude, I feel like an artifact. Like, <laughs> I was like the other day, we were like listing out like birthdays for like the ski lift pass. Like we're taking like a team trip. Uh-huh. And then like everyone was writing their birthdays. I was like, oh my God. I was like, yo, can I just text you my birthday separately? <laughs> I was like, yo, everyone's like, yo, I got like 96, 2000. Oh. I was like, whoa, 2000. Yeah. I was like, yo, I was like, crazy. I was like, oh, wow. But just seeing the growth in the community and uh, giving back, that's mm-hmm. that's incredible. Uh, I think I think just speaking to you in this brief moment, um, you know, I, I, I think you're well suited for that. And I think uh, those kids chose a good mentor. Yeah, I think uh, I, yeah. I, I'm not going to lie. I was never um, I don't think that I was always well suited for this role. I think I grew into it. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of things come out of when you're doing something that you care and you're passionate about. So, um, yeah, maybe just hopefully that inspires someone else to maybe yeah. find. And, and to answer your question, yeah. like your, your statement before we. Yeah, we'd love to have you know one of your kids on if you feel like you know, yeah. they have a lot of value to bring. Oh, and I think share. I'd I'd love to record that and share it with the world. Yeah, I think what's cool is that you'll see their energy and you see the way that they think because like I remember when it was times where I would sit down with them and have a conversation and they would do mostly listening, mm-hmm. and that was like a year, a year and a half ago, and now we sit down, we have a conversation, and and they're pumping out value, and they're like, "Yo, you could also do this." And then that would capture the market. See, that's that, that's then, great to so, have a community of friends like yeah, that. Yeah. It's like you guys could shoot the shit, you know, talk about politics and what's going on in the news, right. reality shows. But you guys can add value during that conversations at times too, where you are helping each other accelerate or win at life. Yes. And you never, you probably never thought as a mentor that you would actually get advice from your mentees. Um. No, I knew it. I knew one day that they, they, they were going to kick my ass. <laughs> Where the student becomes yeah, yeah, the teacher. Yes, always. That's the goal. It always is. That's the goal. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's it was always my goal to start that they were going to be better than me. Mm-hmm. And I always told them that too. I always told them like, hey, you guys are learning from me when you're 19, 20. But by the time you're 25, you're going to beat my ass. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to you're going to be doing something crazier than me. Mm-hmm. And you know what's crazy is that I, I kind of like uh, manifested that. 
that happened a much earlier than we expected. Mm -hmm. Like it's only been a year and a half in, two years in for some of these kids, and they're already running startups that are going to be super disruptive. Mm -hmm. And I already see that. And I look at that and I go, holy crap, they're about to make milestones before like before they even like finish college. That's incredible. And I didn't I didn't even think about doing something outside the box. And how many kids how many kids that have that in them but we're taught that they don't so go to college and yeah. figure it out yeah. that's the part you know they, I, I think that's why it's so important to find a mentor and and just finding your building blocks the right people around you the right friends that mm-hmm. talk about the right things yeah. um, I think that's crucial I think us in the um, Asian community we really need that I think that yeah I totally lot, agree yeah uh, I think that we didn't have that um, you nailed it. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I think that it's a it's a big gap in where we are as Asian Americans because we, our parents don't know how to, not to say don't know, but then they, it's just different. Yeah, it's just it's different. different. And then they don't know what it's like to mentor us in this culture. You right. know what I mean? Like for a professional interview, right. for this and that. Right. I think that's where we bring real value at Twelve Pell because mm-hmm. it's like all these young. I got all these kids from the barbershop. It's like all these kids they come in here not knowing. And then they discover value and then they're hooked. So these kids came in for a haircut and then left with a mentor. <laughs> That's how it was. There you go. In, in a cheesy way, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want to say it does not cheesy. You know what? <laughs> yeah. If if I cut my hair, if I cut off this long Don't do it. You know what? I don't want you to regret it. So I want you to go home and reflect on the pros <laughs> no, and no, cons. No, no, I'm not doing it. Yeah. Write, write down the pros and cons, yeah. you know, on paper, <laughs> and then show it to Carho. That's your, yeah, that's your homework assignment. And, and, and we'll talk about and it. And then we'll talk about it. <laughs> I want to really make sure that's what you want, you know what I mean? It's only here. It'll grow back well, yeah. I, as long as I you know, can. But I'm, when I'm ready to get it, I'm going to give you a ring. And um, yeah, let's see what... What you know? Because I'm almost embarrassed when I was telling him I've never been to your shop. But after this podcast, I'm going to your shop. Who I know you got it? an yeah. event there. Um, Carhol, thank you for coming yes. through. No. You have a lot on your shoulders. You know the community, your shop. I, you know, it's really inspiring that what you're doing for the community as well. So yeah, I mean, I'm bound to, to do this again whenever you guys want. Yeah, um, for sure, it was fun. I'm dude. I ton of stories, uh, and maybe not even myself. Maybe you could get the perspective from my guys. Yeah, um, Bro, you're right down the block. Yeah, yeah. you know, so, we're here one day. Come by like, anytime. Let's just, let's just yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe one day regulars. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, we sure. we we've always thought about it. I think that it's just that. It's tough because you got buzzers going on in the shop all the time, but mm. we thought about even getting the perspectives of all the people in our chair because we're talking about like we get the perspectives from the young sixteen-year-old kid all the way through to like the fifty-something-year-old professional, yeah. you know, who's yeah. had his neck in the woods in every in every single way possible, from professional to like entrepreneurial. So like, I think there's a lot of value being generated out of the shop. We're we're now actually for the next plans moving forward. We're actually generating a lot of future content mm-hmm. where we can start to deliver this value online. So like we're working awesome. on videos, whether it's styling videos or a little bit of lifestyle, funny videos. Right. But the idea is like connecting with more people now. You guys got to be there physically to check it out. I'm going to do that right now. Um, Twelve <laughs> Pell Street, New York City, Chinatown. Represent. Yo, well, lucky boys. We out. Thanks for listening and supporting the podcast. Check us out on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts for the rest of our episodes.